Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. I recently had the unusual and extraordinary privilege and opportunity to confer the sacrament of confirmation on my high school seniors from my two parishes by calling down the Holy Spirit and anointing them with chrism. You better believe it, I was wearing my socks from Sock Religious on that occasion, the Come Holy Spirit Socks. Pentecost Sunday is May 23rd, and I'd encourage you to go over to Sock Religious and to buy a pair of Holy Spirit socks and wear them to Mass on Pentecost Sunday. You can find a link in the show notes, and by buying through that link, you'll be supporting the podcast, How They Love Mary. My name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with a popular person in the field of Catholicism, Father James Martin. You know him because he is the editor-at-large of America Magazine and a consultant to the Vatican's Dicastery for Communication. Lots of people love his books that he's written. He wrote My Life with the Saints, which I read back in my seminary days just for spiritual reading. Jesus, a pilgrimage I read before I went on my own pilgrimage to the Holy Land with my parishioners a few years ago and the Jesuit guide to almost everything. So I'm happy to be speaking with him as we talk about his new book, Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone. So welcome to the show, Father James Martin. Thanks very much, and happy to be on any show that uh, that loves Mary. So I'm 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 in that group with you already. Great, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Just uh, I know some of your own experiences from Lourdes that I've read about, and other Marian things as well. So I can't wait to talk about that. But the title of your book, "Learning to Pray: A Guide for Everyone," I remember seeing this come out back in November when the kind of the press was going out about it. I know it was released after that, but. I was struck by a guide for everyone. And I was at a point in my life where I'm like, I think my prayer life could be a lot better than what it is. And I'm a priest and I'm a professional prayer. And so really, when you say a guide for everyone, for me as a priest who's prayed, you know, for many, many years through the seminary and now as a pastor of parishes, I really needed a refresher of going back and discovering those different methods and maybe finding new approaches and understanding how it is that I should pray and how I can pray better. I guess for a person who's listening, that probably was a like me that said, I could pray better. What's the first step that they could take in maybe developing their prayer life? Well, I think everyone is in that position. Everyone thinks either I could pray better or I don't know how to pray. Or when I sit down, I don't know what's supposed to happen or I don't feel like anything's happening. The first uh, step is to recognize that God is calling out to you and that God desires a relationship with you. And people say, well, how can I know that? Well, the desire you have for prayer, I mean, people listening to this podcast are obviously interested in some way uh, in prayer, otherwise they would turn it off. The desire that you have is, is really God's desire for you. I mean, how else would God draw you closer to God other than by awakening in you this desire for prayer? That's the first thing. So to recognize that the very desire is a call, it, it's coming from God. And the second thing is to, to know that anyone can pray and that everyone can pray and that, you know, it, it takes some time and that it takes some practice. Um, but uh, it's not simply for 
you know, like Pope Francis or St. John Paul II or Mother Teresa or whoever. It's for everyone. And I think a lot of Catholics, especially, you know, really, including myself, when before I entered the Jesuits, really had never been taught how to pray, the different ways of prayer, so that it's open to you and that God is calling you to it, I think, are the two most important things to know. One of the things you mentioned right in the very beginning is kind of different reasons people don't pray. And there were lots of reasons that really resonated with me that I said, yeah, I think I've said that before. And I had the biggest struggle uh, with intercessory prayer for the longest time. And I think it was because I had email lists. People were sending me all of these intentions from different email lists. I get the correspondences from my mother would call me and ask me to pray for someone people would ask you to pray for them. And so I really was kind of taken aback by the number of people that I was supposed to pray for. So I was overwhelmed. So I probably was, that was a struggle there. How do I pray for all of these people that want me to pray for them? And then like a person like my mother, I wasn't convinced that she was praying for them, that she was approaching (laughs) me because like you are the prayer. And so you can pray for them. And so I felt sometimes it was that. And then even intellectually, I had this little struggle with, um, you know, God knows everything. We know this from the Psalms. God knows the number of, of the hairs on our head when we sit and when we stand. So God knows everything about us, even in the scriptures. He knows the thoughts of the Pharisees, even before they say anything. He knows everything about the Samaritan woman. And And so I struggled with the fact, well, why do I need to tell God about these people when God already knows what they need? And And then I came across Bartimaeus, and you had this wonderful reflection on Bartimaeus in the book. Uh, But for me, that was kind of a a breaking point for me of understanding, because Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He knows this man wants to see. He knows it. And so I came to realize, well, God wants us to ask. And so that really changed my mind uh, about intercessory prayer. And I guess anything you could offer to me, a person who has struggled, but let's say someone calls you and says, pray for this person, or you get these requests, what should we do with them? How do we pray for these people? Well, those are all good questions. And, you know, I also feel a little overwhelmed as a priest because, and I ask the same questions to people, are you praying for this person? And you do get overwhelmed. Uh, The first thing to, to know is, you know, as you pointed out with the story of Bartimaeus, that Uh, you know, that God desires our honesty, right? And so, for example, if there's someone in your life who's really struggling or sick, you know, or dying, to not pray for that person if you really feel the desire for healing or you want to ask God is, is in a sense, kind of getting in the way of your relationship with God, right? I mean, you know, because a lot of people feel, well, I shouldn't ask for things because I should feel grateful or I it's, it's selfish, but this is part of being in a relationship with God. And I always point out to people that the, our father is intercessory. The, our father is asking for something, you know, give us this day, forgive us our trespasses. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, when people get overwhelmed, uh, I sometimes say to maybe set it aside for a bit, you know? So a, a person came to me just recently without breaking confidence, who said that his intercessory prayer was taking up about a half an hour of his prayer time. And it was just a becoming a burden. And then I think you can say, look, um, I'll do my best with that. But if it, if it's, if that's the only thing you're doing in your prayer, it can kind of take away from the relationship. So like any relationship, it needs to be um, seen in, in context. Uh, in general, I, I think for people to ask for things and for do to do intercessory prayer is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing, but if it's becoming 
the only thing you're doing, and it's not allowing you to just relax in God's presence or listen to God or pray in another way, you know, just set it aside for a couple of days. And, you know, and, and in that case, trust that God has heard your prayer before, because we sometimes have people who do it, you know, every day. And again, it, it can become, prayer becomes something unpleasant for those people. So I think it's, it's always to look at it in the context of a relationship. So for example, um, if you and I went out to dinner and I needed something from you and I didn't ask, it would be kind of weird if we were friends, like if I needed some help with something. And, and you would say, well, of course you, you should ask, Jim. If we went out to dinner and every single time I went out to dinner, all I did was ask you for something, that would be a little weird too. So it's, it's kind of seeing it in its context. What do you say to the person that prayed for something? You know, we had this very tragic situation in my parish and tragic. I don't know if that's the right word, but it, I'll tell you, it shook my faith for a long time. And I actually went to Lourdes on retreat mm. to kind of rediscover faith and, and kind of come back to, to a stronger belief. But there was a young person, my age, 35, uh, he was, and he had four children dies of colon cancer. He mm. had colon cancer several times, leaves behind his wife. None of his children at that time had made first Holy communion. So very young family. Mm -hmm. And so I saw this and, you know, all of us, we gathered in prayer. We prayed at the shrine of our lady of good mm. help and champion. We had a prayer vigil there for him. Um, you know, all these different ways that we prayed and asked God to hear us. But then obviously the healing we asked for wasn't in accord with his will. So how do you respond to people that say, I prayed for something that seemed to be good for someone's healing. And then it seems that God didn't hear us. Well, I talk a lot about that in the book and I'm glad you brought that up uh, because it's, it's one of the reasons that people don't pray or that people fall away from the faith or the church and they simply give up. They say, I asked for something good, right? They're, they're, that's the good thing to ask for. And, you know, St. John Damascene says prayer is a raising of the mind of, and heart to God and the asking of good things, the requesting of good things. So how could a good God not, you know, give me that? And the first thing is to hear people's pain and hear where they are and not dismiss it. Uh, I talk in the book about answers that people give that are sometimes not helpful. You know, God has something better in store for you or, uh, you know, God, and then you say, well, how can, how can, how can there be something better, right? How can this death be better? Right. Or God answered and the answer was no, which kind of makes God out to be a sort of, you know, mean person, uh, or you don't understand what God is giving you. God's giving you something else. And, and while that's true, you know, God might give um, the family, you know, a sense of grace or a sense of peace. It, it's still not, as you say, it's not the answer that they were hoping for. So I think we need to be honest, too, that sometimes we do not get what we ask for specifically. And why is that? And I think the most honest response is that it is a mystery. And that's not a cop out, but that we really do not understand uh, God's ways, but that the invitation is to still believe in a God that we don't understand. Because I think a lot of damage is done when people are told, you know, for example, um, you know, God needs another angel in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And it just, it, it makes God out to be in, a, in the person's mind, you know, a kind of, you know, a mean person. And that's not the, that's not the God that we, we encounter when we encounter Jesus. So I think the most honest answer for me is that we don't know, but that we still trust and believe and are in a relationship with a God that we, we may not understand. Because everyone, I mean, if you live long enough, everyone is going to get to that point of 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 being frustrated with that, with the with, with the seeming lack of response on God's part. Sure. 
As a priest, you've prayed in many different ways. You've been formed in different prayer traditions. You're a Jesuit, so there's kind of the Jesuit style of prayer through uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, spiritual exercises, the use of imagination, and learning to pray a guide for everyone. You tell about all of these different types of prayer, from rote prayers to the examine to many others. What is your favorite way to pray or one of the ways that you've engaged prayer the most? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say what's called Ignatian contemplation, which is the style that um, I think Jesuits are probably best known for. It's not something that Ignatius invented. Uh, I think you could trace it all the way back to Francis of Assisi and you know the crash, him creating a crash to enable people to imagine those things. But even Jesus, when you think about it, you know, Jesus is telling parables, right? And he's, he's asking you to imagine yourself in the story of the, the prodigal son or um, the woman sweeping up uh, her house looking for a coin or something like, you know, all the parables of the, the tenants and the landlord. And it's basically imagining yourself in a scripture scene, right? It's using your imagination to place yourself in a scripture scene and see what comes up. And I talk a lot about in the book about the fruits of prayer, emotions, memories, desires, those kinds of things. I find it really uh, beautiful and fruitful. Now, it's not its not something that always, in a sense, feels like it's giving you fruit. I mean, not every day. I, I usually, in the morning, um, after the breviary, I look at the daily readings, and I try to imagine myself in the scripture scene. And not every time I do that does some amazing thing happen in prayer, but it is my favorite way of praying. Well, let me ask you, what, what's your favorite way of praying? What would you say? Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. For me, I would probably say I, I take much enjoyment in the rosary. I, I've written mm -hmm. a rosary devotional. I've uh, helped people through praying the rosary with uh, different styles and mm -hmm. meditations. And even as we're in this year of St. Joseph, I'm working right now on some rosary meditations for each set, uh, focusing on Joseph's role at the Annunciation or kind oh, of the nice. aftermath and whatnot. So that's been a, a good way for me to really just reflect on the story of the gospel. And that's what St. Louis de Montfort says. He says about the rosary that uh, if you don't pray the rosary, when else may you pray with the scripture? So it at least gets you somewhat familiar uh, mm -hmm. with the story of salvation. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. No, I'm a big, I'm a big rosary fan. I have about, I was um, looking on my bureau the other day. I think I have about 50 rosaries. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you know, you want, you pick them up when you're in different places, but you know, people also give them to you. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big rosary fan. And typically you only carry one rosary with you, but you have all of them, you know, kind of scattered about that's for sure. Now. So we talk about the imagination, the prayer of imagination, the examine, the, the rosary, for example, I, I think sometimes for people like myself, we might think that some type of prayer is superior mm -hmm. to other types of prayer, that if you're not doing this, you're not praying right. And yeah. so how can we kind of address that in our own mindset to have a greater openness to the different styles and methods of prayer? Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that the most common thing in Catholic circles, let's see, would be something like, well, if you're only praying rote prayers, right? If you're only saying the Hail Mary, you're only doing the rosary, then somehow you're not you know, advanced or something. Or by the same token, if you're not praying the rosary, you're a bad Catholic and you're going to hell and you're not really serious and you don't love Mary. And you know, one of the things to remember is that different styles appeal to different people, right? I mean, one person might like uh, Ignatian contemplation or Lexio Divina or a centering prayer. Another person might like that, might like the rosary, which is fine. 
So the key is to, to remember that each, each person has a different way of prayer and a different way of relating to God. My favorite story about this, which I think I tell in the book, is uh, a Jesuit who was studying spiritual direction, and he was visiting his Irish Catholic mother in Boston. And uh, she prayed the rosary every day, you know, like a lot of people do. And um, he said to her, well, let me teach you another way to pray, you know, kind of a little pompously saying, I'm going to teach you in a sense, a better way of praying or a higher way of praying. And she said, well, I like the rosary. And he said, well, you know, it's, that's nice. But, and then he sort of thought about it for a minute and said, well, what happens when you pray the rosary? And she said, well, I look at God and God looks at me. And he realized that, you know, her prayer was a lot more advanced, if you will, than, than his was. So it's, it's to know that God meets people in different ways. And I think the key, particularly for Catholics, is never to condemn somebody because they don't like the kind of prayer that you do. I mean, we're all centered around the mass and the Eucharist, of course, but if someone prays the rosary um, every day and doesn't do Ignatian contemplation, don't get mad at them. And if someone doesn't pray the rosary every day, like you do, don't think that they're a bad Catholic. Um, I also think it's for Catholics to try different types of prayer that they might not be familiar with. I think that's also a big barrier for people. They don't, they're not introduced to them. I do a lot of work uh, with relevant radio these days and celebrating a lot of their masses when Father Rocky is out of town. And just the other day at mass, we had from the Acts of the Apostles, the way in which the apostles were praying and they made their intercessory prayer. They prayed for boldness and proclaiming the faith. And then afterwards, the room shook with where they were and they felt the power of the Holy Spirit there. And I think all throughout the scriptures, we get the example of people and how they prayed. I always go back to, uh, I think, Esther's prayer or Judith's prayer from, from one of those Old Testament books. That's a very beautiful prayer. And so we look at it and it kind of becomes a model. It says, well, this is how they prayed. And in a sense, they were praying spontaneously. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, a very beautiful way to pray and to look at how the saints prayed. We have lots of prayers of the saints and, you know, they kind of become prayer books and maybe we formulize them as rote prayer, but then actually it's, that's how they were praying. And so it's teaching us really the language of prayer. So I really always like to look to the examples of others. And for yourself, I know you mentioned a lot of different people that kind of taught you how to pray and uh, who... Uh, who were some of those people, I guess, or how did you take inspiration from them in learning how to pray? Well, I think the same way you did, which is, um, you know, I think that's a very good point that the, that the things that have become road prayers were for them spontaneous. Right. And uh, and, you know, even Jesus is our father. I mean, he's he's speaking in, you know, the language that he would have been telling them this in Aramaic. It would have been kind of conversational for them. And it's become a road prayer, of course. Um so I think that's one way it's sort of how people are talking at God or talking with God. Uh, but I think also for me, it's also been the invitation to listen to God. You know, what does that, which can sound very mysterious. That doesn't mean we hear voices or see visions, but one of the people that has taught me the most about that is a Jesuit. I mention a lot in the book, the book is dedicated to him, father Bill Barry, um, which is about, uh, you know, he talks about it being a relationship. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And the same things you can say about a relationship with a good friend, you can say about a relationship with God. I mean, it's obviously not the perfect analogy because it's God versus a friend. But for example, uh, good relationships require honesty, right? Um, you you want to be honest in prayer. And if a relationship uh, doesn't have honesty, if I tell you only the things I think that you should hear, that you want to hear, or that are appropriate to tell you, right? Uh, then the relationship will get kind of cold and formal and a little distant. Uh, 
Um, but part of it's also listening. And I think that's really what's been the most helpful in my own life because people sit down. I mean, look, this is, this was me at 26, 27, you sit down to pray, you close your eyes and you say, this is what I want, or this is how I feel. And then it's like, now what, <laughs> right? Like you're about, you know, God feeling close or, you know, the fruits of prayer. What, what does that mean? And so Bill Barry and other Jesuit spiritual directors helped me to understand what it means to listen in prayer. And that means basically listening for things like emotions, memories, insights, feelings, desires, words, and phrases that come up. I talk about this a lot in the book and also listening in your daily life, meaning, you know, not that you're going to see a vision or something, but that, you know, God is encountering you at different parts of your life and, and you have to be attentive to that. So the key for me was, um, I never had a problem sort of asking for things. I mean, that's, that's kind of a classic, you know, beginning of prayer. I never had a problem expressing myself. It was, what does it mean to to hear God and what does it mean to listen? And I think that's really where a lot of Catholics have a hard time because they're, they, they understand, you know, they're, they're good at praying the rosary or, or being honest. And sometimes in prayer, like in the rosary, they might feel the sense of calm, which is, you know, wonderful. And that is one way that God has of communicating, but the, the invitation is to say, what other ways in prayer can God communicate? And that's one of the main reasons I wrote the book to say what, what really happens when you pray. Um, so that that's been very inspiring to me and really helpful that that the insight that God can communicate with you in your prayer. Mary gives us a model for prayer. This is a podcast about the Blessed Mother and uh, really at the Annunciation, she listens to the angel. She listens for how God is leading her life as this message comes to her. And even though she was vowed to this virginity and she asks, how can this be? She allows God to change the course of her life. And so she says, yes, she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And then she goes and she visits her cousin Elizabeth and you and I pray this prayer of the Magnificat every evening and uh, evening prayer of the liturgy of the hours. And so she gave us in a sense, a prayer that now has been prayed for many generations in which she said, all generations will call me blessed. Of course, the Hail Mary is one of the first prayers a person learns as a young Catholic, yeah. as a young child. And I guess I'm wondering, how did your devotion to the Blessed Mother come about? You know, that's such a great question. Um, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. Um, it's funny, when I was little, you're right, and I always laugh about this, and I think only Catholics can understand this. I think I knew the Hail Mary before I knew the Our Father. It's just, I think it's, it's just, it's caught everybody's tongue. Um, I had a, a picture on my uh, dresser of the Pieta, like, uh, and I would pray, to, I mean, I think I was like almost praying in front of that picture. I don't want to say I'm praying to the picture. It wasn't an idol, but I had this image of Mary. And I tell the story in the book, on my way to school, when I wanted something, I would say the Hail Mary. It was almost like a payment. Like I'll say 10 Hail Marys because I want this. Uh, and then I understood Mary as, as the Blessed Mother and as Jesus's mother. But I really, it really wasn't until I entered the Jesuits that I started to see her as, as a woman, right? As an actual human being. She's the mother of God, but she's she's also a human being. And to kind of come to understand her, as you're saying, just just the, the, the things you're saying about the Annunciation. And, you know, one of the great things is that she the first words out of her mouth in the Bible are a question. How can this be? Which is really that's really striking when you think about it. She has she's she's honest, too. Right. She has to kind of express what she's feeling. And it was, I think, in coming to see her. Um, and I talk about this in my life with the saints as a woman as Miriam of Nazareth, in addition to the Queen of Heaven, the Blessed Mother, it's the same person that really helped me to understand 
who she was. And so, for example, I was going to say what you just said to me and what you just said about Mary listening. I think as a as a child and as a young adult, I would have never heard that before. I would have just thought Mary is this, you know, just she's just she just of course she does that because, you know, this is what Mary does in the Gospels. But to think of her as our model, you know, as our companion, in addition to our patron was really what unlocked it for me. And then subsequently, um, you know, I it just I, it's kind of hard to it's like saying, you know, my relationship with Jesus, it's so multivalent. I think going to Lourdes was a big, a big part of it. I mean, you know, which which just deepened it even more and helped me to see her in a, you know, just in a different light. I think all the I think all the apparitions um, help us to see sort of a different facet of her. It's obviously the same person. Uh, so, for example, I'm getting into more and more Fatima now, you know, which wow. I mean, I knew a little bit about, but. I saw that beautiful movie, which I just loved. And I wrote a, I read a, I wrote Freudian slip. I read a book about Fatima recently. And she's kind of, she's kind of the same in those Fatima and Lords, but, but different, you know what I mean? Sort of a different yeah. aspect of her personality. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I, I love Mary and I pray to her all the time. And I, but I, I love most of all reading about her in scripture, you know, and there's not much, right. As we know. Uh, but the Annunciation is one of my favorite parts. The Wedding Feast of Cain, I think, is just fantastic. She's just fantastic. Do what he tells you. Yeah, very, she's very she's very untroubled by his kind of initial resistance, which I love. Yeah, the Wedding Feast of Cana is actually this great biblical passage for us about Marian intercession. Mm. And Pope Francis pointed this out in a book that I, I read. I think it was like his homilies to priests or something like that. But it was basically he said, you know, she noticed a need before anyone else realizing. So allow her to say, you have no more wine. And so allow her to see mm. your need and to bring it to the Lord. And so we get this idea of Marian intercession, even mediation of grace, if you will. And um, it, it seems that throughout time, people have asked the intercession of Mary. We have shrines in memorial to the Blessed Mother over hundreds and hundreds of years, whether from an apparition or just a, a devotion to Mary. And people have gone there They've asked the Blessed Mother, can you pray for this, that, or the other thing, for this person and their healing, for this person to get a job? And then a few weeks later, that person is in remission. That person got a job. So it seems that God is pleased with our prayers of Marian intercession. Otherwise, he wouldn't be granting these graces as we ask her to pray for us. And so I get, I don't know what the question here is, is, but what do you make of that, that God has chosen to allow Mary to be kind of our advocate, our intercessor uh, in our own prayer and joining us? That's what I really love about the champion apparition that I've written so much about. And that Mary says, I'm the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. So, and then she says to the visionary Adele, I want you to pray for the conversion of sinners. So it tells us Mary prays. And she prays with us and wants us to pray with her. So I guess I submit it all to you. What do you make of it all? Well, it's, you know, it's hard to kind of, um, you know, sort of ex explain it all. I would just say, you know, that she, she is our companion. Right. And I think that um, you're right. God has given her to us. I think people for whatever reason feel more comfortable going to her than to Jesus, which I always think is kind of, I don't think Mary would like that because, you know, Mary's always pointing us to her son and it's not as if Jesus is this terrifying person that we can't go to, but you know, if people feel more comfortable, you know, to Jesus through Mary, that's fine. Right. And that, that's, that has a long tradition. I think because, you know, She's the mother of God, but, you know, unlike Jesus, she's not 
divine. She's not fully divine. I think people just feel more at home with her. I think they feel more, she's more like them. Uh, and there is something about the maternal uh, aspect of Mary that makes people feel comfortable. And so here's the thing. I mean, when, when people say, you know, I, I pray for the intercession of the blessed mother, you know, she helps me to go to Jesus. I say, fine. You know, some people say, well, I don't have a devotion to Mary yet. I say, fine, you know, not yet. Let me, let me try to kind of introduce you to that. And so she, she really is, she really is a help to people. I just, it's, 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 it's very mysterious. I mean, I, I pray to her. I'll tell you a funny story. I, I, I talked about this in the book. I mean, I pray to Mary all the time. And uh, I was, uh, I was at church once and I knelt down in front of a statue of the sacred heart, you know, which if people don't know, it's the, it's the image of Jesus showing his heart. And I started to say a Hail Mary. Oh, yeah. And I remember looking up at Jesus's face and thinking, maybe I should pray to Jesus for, you know, for a moment. So she, one of the, the nicest things I've ever heard about Mary uh, of many nice things, it was an elderly priest who lived with us who pointed out that her last words in scripture are do whatever he tells you. And so she should always bring us, she should always bring us to Jesus. But, um, but yeah, people find in her, you know, the refuge, right? Our, our lady, you know, our refuge. And I, I just, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to kind of encapsulate it because I have so much to say about Mary. I feel very close to her and I feel like she listens. But of course, we have to remember, you know, so does Jesus, right? So we, it, it, we, we have to put the devotion in perspective, too. It can never, out, you know, overshadow our, our love for Jesus, um, which I think for Catholics can be a, it can be a difficulty. So someone said to me once, <laughs> just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of charming. I said to someone um, something about mass and this woman said, um, well, I don't go to mass as much anymore as I used to. I was like, why is that? Well, I have, I have the rosary. Yeah. I thought, well, you know, <laughs> let me, let me try to put these things in perspective. Cause, and I said, I don't think that Mary would want you to not go to mass. Right. In, fact, in many of her apparitions, she's mm -hmm. asked people to go to church. Yeah. Uh, you know, she asked for churches to be built. So she wanted yeah. people to go to mass, you know, so right. definitely her motherly desires for us to be close to her son in the Eucharist and in the church. Yeah. And I sort of, that's how I, that's how I sort of convinced this woman. I said, what do you think Mary would want? And she's like, yeah, you're right. father. I'll go back to mass. Uh, but no, I, I think she's a, she's a help for so many people. And I certainly go to her, you know, at the drop of a hat. Sure. There are lots of prayers to Mary that people will use, you know, so we talk about the Hail Mary and in, in the book, you gave a few nice little suggestions that you kind of acquired from other people. And so, for example, one person prays the Hail Mary as they pray the rosary, thinking of lots of different people they want to pray for. Uh, another person, as they prayed the Hail Mary at the very end, they put in the person's name, pray for us sinners, pray for John now yeah. and at the hour of our mm -hmm. death. Amen. And, you know, St. Louis de Montfort, this was my rosary book. I did a rosary litany and it was putting a, a clause after the name of Jesus. So, you know, thy womb, Jesus announced by the angel, thy womb, mm. Jesus conceived by the Holy spirit. Mm. And that kind of begins or becomes a part of your prayer in a litany like succession. That was mm. the idea that I had behind it, developing what Louis de Montfort gave us. And, I think sometimes we get lost in the meaning of the words that maybe we just keep saying them over and over. But one of the things that really struck me was your reflection on the memorari and mm. how we pray, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary. The memorari is very popular. 
People mm. prayed all the time. Mother Teresa prayed nine for her intentions and then 10, uh, a 10th one in Thanksgiving. So I think a lot of people, they might actually turn to the memorari if they know it uh, as their way of praying for others. If someone says, mm -hmm. can you pray for me? And they'll, and then they'll pray the memorari for that person. Mm. Could, could you just share your thoughts? I just thought they were so striking about the memorari. Well, I, I have a couple of thoughts. The first is that it's a, it's a favorite prayer of mine that I came to rather late. Uh, because I didn't grow up super religious. And uh, the first time I'll, I'll share this, I was asked to do it as a penance and confession, pray the memorari. I had to look it up. I had to look it up and, you know, read it from like a Catholic encyclopedia or something. Um, I, one of the things I say in the, in the book is that rote prayer, you know, a formal or standardized prayer can sometimes get denigrated, which I think is ridiculous because, uh, you know, it, it helps people pray. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, you unite yourself with prayers from all over the world. I mean, when we're, if we pray the our father, right. Um, but also it sometimes actually expresses it better than you can. Right. So, um, you know, sinful and sorrowful, right. I, I don't think I could come up with something like that. That's, that's as beautiful as the memorare, right. I just, there's, there's something about the, the way it's framed and the way it's phrased that I find um, I, I couldn't do it better myself. But I do say at the beginning, the one part of the memoir that I always feel guilty about, which is funny, is remember, oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, I, I, I've always felt it, it felt like a little bit like a command. Sure. And it's not, it's not maybe in the translation, it's not we remember or I remember that never was it known to, that anyone who, you know, dot, dot, dot. It's remember. <laughs> I always feel, I tell you, I always feel guilty. Like one, one thing first, I, I feel funny telling Mary something to do, like do this, Mary. Also, as if Mary doesn't remember. <laughs> so that's the only part. But other than that, I think it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful prayer. It's not one that everybody knows. Um, and I think that the point of that is to say that oftentimes these standardized prayers that sometimes people denigrate uh, are are in a sense, they, they express things better than we can. I don't think that you could improve, for example, on the Hail Mary. I mean, the first part, as we know, is the angel Gabriel's word, so we wouldn't want to change that, but Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. I, I would be hard pressed to better that. And so that's one of the things about rote prayer, that they're just so beautiful. There's a reason why they've, they've stood the test of time. And then the other thing is, you know, in terms of the Our Father, you know, this is a prayer that comes from Jesus's lips. And so it would be very hard to improve on that. And the, the prayer that, you know, not only the sentiment, but the prayer itself, the words come from our Lord's lips. And so to say, well, you shouldn't pray that, or, oh, that's just a kind of an too elementary is just crazy for me. And but that's what a lot of people say. Oh, you're only praying the rosary. Oh, you got to move beyond that. Well, you know, I think it's, it's pretty good if the angel Gabriel said that and Jesus said it, then I think it's good for us to say it. I often preach at funerals, especially of the devout that prayed the rosary every day, just to think how many times in their life they asked Mary, pray for us sinners now mm. and at the hour of our death. And to really think of that, that mm. Mary was praying for them in that very hour uh, as they were drawing their last breath. You've been on a lot of pilgrimages and a pilgrimage is a reminder of the fact that one day we'll uh, join our God in heaven. And I know you've been to Lourdes. You mentioned uh, that made an impression upon you. Mm. You've been to uh, the Holy Land several times. And there are lots of places, of course, related to the Blessed Mother there, uh, Nazareth or the 
the Church of the Visitation, mm -hmm. uh, the Church of the Door, Door Mission. Um, and your pilgrimages, maybe, how has Mary touched you the most in any of the places you've been? Oh, I would say uh, probably there are, right. I mean, they're, you know, the Basilica of the Annunciation and, and the Visitation um, in Ayn Karim, which is very beautiful. I would say in Lourdes, though. I mean, I would say that uh, I, I, I often say that there are certain places, this in my opinion, where you go and you say to yourself, just from the feel that you get, oh, you know, something happened here. Yeah. Uh, and those two places for me are the Sea of Galilee and Lourdes. And I honestly, I mean, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about right now. When you see the Sea of Galilee, you just say, yeah, you just have this feeling. Yeah, that this this something happened here. Same with Lords. I walked into the grotto for the first time and I was bowled over. Now, part of it is, you know, I knew the history and I knew the story and I believe in the apparitions, of course, and there were people praying. But there is something that that almost palpable hmm. that you feel there. There's and I I I so it's it's hard to describe. So she she was very important for me um, and is very important for me, particularly in Lords. Uh, because of this great, I mean, I the story of Bernadette for me is just stunning. Yes. Um, the, 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 the message, the, the, the tenderness, her Bernadette herself, her story, which I've read like a billion times now, um, I have a big devotion to Bernadette. Um, the fact that she appears as someone who's 14, who's poor, and she speaks to her in her own language, as Mary usually does in these apparitions, and not just not French, but the, the kind of the patois of lords, the sort of local patois that no one believes her. I mean, it's, it's really, they're, they're very similar, these, these apparition stories. And just to be with a, a Mary who, oh, I find very touching, Mary who, you know, condescended really to come to this young woman who was poor and not believed, you know, as a lot of the visionaries usually are not believed originally, and speak very tenderly with her. One of the, my favorite parts of the Lord story, which always surprises people, which I love this, you know, Bernadette, as you know, like a lot, you know, Bernadette was her own person. And Bernadette wasn't into like, you know, you don't believe me, you don't believe me, right? And this is my story. I'm telling you like a million times. It's like Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc said to her examiners, I've told you enough. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. And um, so Bernadette, which I love, um, they, you know, Bernadette goes to a convent um, and um, they put the statue of Lourdes, the, the Our Lady of Lourdes, the statue that, you know, I know you have on your uh, bookshelf and I have on my office uh, back, back in the office. And Bernadette didn't like it because it was an, a, a mature woman. Hmm. And the woman, the, the Mary who appeared to her was a, a young girl, a demoiselle, she said, her age. And I just, I just love that, that even, even our, our own devotion to, um, to, to the Blessed Mother, even our own devotion to the Blessed Mother is, is like is outstripped by, you know, what, what she's actually like. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, like, well, like we love Mary, the, the Our Lady of Lords for coming to Bernadette, but it's even more than that. It's 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 Our Lady of Lords came to Bernadette as, in a sense, someone her age almost, which is it's, it's like more than we can imagine. It's actually more than we can deal with, which is why they put a mature woman there. So it just she's she's just she's just amazing. And I, I um, 
I just, I just, I can't say enough about Mary and about Bernadette. I'm a big Bernadette fan too. So yeah, I love Bernadette. And one of the things about St. Bernadette too, is that Mary came and she really prepared her to make her first Holy Communion. Mm. Mary was really her catechist mm-hmm. uh, in terms of teaching the faith and the fact that she could even articulate. Mary said, I am the Immaculate Conception. It's, it's quite profound. Um, now you mentioned, which of course she gets, she gets criticized for that because the priest says, no, that's, that's not true. She's not, she is not, I am the immaculate conception. She was immaculately conceived and Bernadette's like, well, I'm sorry. That's what she told me. See, these visionaries are incredible. They just, this is, this is what happened. And I'd same with the visionaries at Fatima, this, this look, this is what happened, you know, and they stick to their guns, which I think for one of the connections I think in our own lives is that we sometimes have these experiences of God that are very hard to articulate, right? But we need to be faithful to them. And like, like Bernadette, right? And like, you know, like, like all these visionaries, it's just, it's just beautiful. She, she's in Bernadette is of, of all the, for me, of all the visionaries, she's the one she is just, she's just so, sure. so, so strong too. You know, as a 14 year old girl, imagine, you know, saying these things anyway. Have you been to Fatima or no? So once international travel happens again, do you intend to go there? Because the- oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny though. I'll tell you a funny story. So, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I go on these pilgrimages. You'll, you'll laugh about this. And um, I've been to the Holy Land and I've been to Lourdes. And the Holy Land for me truly is, uh, without question, e- even when it comes to Lourdes, just, just, just so overwhelming. And each year they say to me, would you rather go? I lead these pilgrimages for America magazine. Would you rather go somewhere else? And I was like, I, I can't give up the Holy Land. I can't give up. So I'd have to do two pilgrimages in one year. I think Fatima will be really interesting. I, we're, we're, we're planning on going to Lourdes with a, a pilgrimage group. And that'll be fun, too. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, we, um, we, went to, we went to Lourdes. I went to Lourdes as a chaplain first. Uh, you know, with the order of Malta who are just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is really fun. And of course it's all Marian, you know, it's so much Marian devotion, Mary, 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 burn it up, burn it in all the homilies. Yes. And uh, we're told about, in Lourdes when we preach that we have to reference the story yeah. of the apparition in every homily. Yeah. Well, and so, that's, if you're going to the English mass, you, yes. you, know, you bring your own group. That's, that's not a rule, but for, for us who work for the sanctuary, then you have to do that. So I was, so I was with a friend of mine and uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, as you can tell by now, I'm a big fan of Mary. And I was, when I was listening to a homily and I won't say who it was, it was from a Cardinal. And he said, and so in the gospel today, Jesus says, and this, this friend of mine, Jesuit said to me, oh, it's nice to hear something about Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. Uh, That's great. Uh, You know, in learning how to pray a guide for everyone, you really introduce people to deepen their prayer life, give them different styles and methods. And maybe just to close, if someone says today, you know, I want to learn how to pray with Mary or uh, yeah, I want to learn how to pray with Mary. What would be one simple thing a person could do to deepen or foster a devotion to Mary? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think most Catholics would know the Hail Mary, but I would say something simple like imagine yourself uh, in the house at Nazareth uh, and speak to her, as St. Ignatius would say, as one friend speaks to another. In fact, that's, a, that's an important part of the spiritual exercises. He calls it a colloquy. Or a, converse, a conversation, and I think many Catholics might not be, um, you know, as as comfortable or familiar with that. But speak to her as you would one friend to another, and imagine her speaking to you. 
and see what she might want to share. And the other thing I would say is, um, I mean, you know, you're talking about this, Father. The rosary, of course, is a way for us to picture ourselves in those scenes. But I would also say, picture yourself with as much vividness as possible. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? In a, in a chapter from Mary's life and just follow her or picture yourself in a chapter that is not written about. So picture yourself with Mary going to the well to get water one day, you know, and they, what's yeah. that? Cleaning the house. Yeah, exactly. Or, or walking to, you know, it's a, at one point she goes from Nazareth to Capernaum to, you know, cause she's worried about her son. Uh, so picture yourself, yeah, cleaning the house or just doing simple things. And I think it's a, just a beautiful, it's a beautiful way to pray. And sometimes, you know, some wonderful things can happen. Insights just about her or, or, or emotions that come up or memories or desires or words or phrases and trust that she's, she's with you, right? I mean, now and at the hour of our death. What do you make of St. Ignatius's uh, recommendation to pray with the fact that Mary receives a visit of the risen Christ yes. and maybe even was the first witness of it? It's a great, yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So in the spiritual exercises, we follow the gospels and we imagine ourselves in the gospel scenes and um, Ignatius, who of course was extremely pious and extremely devout, puts in something that's not in the gospels, which is the appearance of the risen Christ after Easter to his mother. And one of the greatest lines is even, and Ignatius says, even though this is not in the gospels, it may be piously believed that he did. And of course he, I mean, and of course he did. I mean, you know, if he's appearing to Thomas, of course he did. Right. And so it, they just didn't record it because, you know, as the gospels say, there's many things that are not recorded. Of course he did. And it's a beautiful, it's an especially beautiful meditation, um, you know, because she's also watched his crucifixion. Right. Uh, I mean, I was thinking about that as we all have been, you know, over um, the past Easter and the past, uh, past Holy week and, and passion Sunday to imagine her seeing her son, you know, march through the streets of Jerusalem. I was just reading a book about this actually, and what it would have meant to, for her to see Jesus die, you know, beyond just the disciples and his friends and the apostles for, for the mother to see Jesus die. And then for the mother to see him resurrected from the dead. Yeah. It's just, that's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. But I would say sometimes people have a hard time with that because it's, you know, in a sense, it's so beyond their, their experience. I mean, we all have people who have died, but you know, none of our children are, you know, the son of God. And that's why, as you were saying, imagining yourself just being with her cleaning the house can be a little more accessible for a lot of people. Sure. Did you see the film Resurrection yet on Discovery Plus? Roma Downey and Mark Burnett just came out with this new film. No, not yet. I'd love to see it. I like their yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's great. It's phenomenal. I was able to see it in advance to write a review. And one my review is all about the portrayal of Mary. And then even on this podcast, I was able to interview Roma Downey and we oh, talked wow. about her experience of, of playing Mary in wow. the Bible series, but then their portrayal of Mary there. But it's a sincere portrayal of Mary's faith that that uh, Christ will rise. You know, she even goes to one of the apostles at one point and says, do you not still yet believe that he's coming back? He raised others from the dead. Surely he will rise from the dead himself. And it was such a great depiction of her faith that uh, it, it really made an impression on me. For well, sure. that's great. You know, and I'm glad we, because I think Catholics, you know, as popular as the passion of the Christ was, which I enjoyed. Um, I think Catholics, 
you know, we tend to forget about the resurrection, right? It's, yeah. it's so much about Good Friday. And I'm so glad that there's movies about that. I know that Mel Gibson's doing a, a sequel, yes, he uh, which I think is really yeah, important. I, think, yeah. um, I also think you when you were talking, Father, I was thinking um, these disciples, it really is amazing. They've seen, they've seen all these things and they still, they, the, one of the, the, the strangest parts of the gospels is when they walk away after seeing the miracles. Yeah. So it gives us, it gives us hope because look, if they're, if they're struggling, you know, it's not surprising that many of us struggle too. That's great. That's a great thought to end with. And um, yeah, truly they saw, they struggled. They had their own doubts. And I know all throughout our life, we have our doubts, but we move from doubt to faith just as they did. And then they were able to heal uh, in the name of Jesus and all the things that they did. Uh, I like, I'm so honored by your presence today to talk about learning to pray a guide for everyone. Also simply to talk about learning to pray with Mary and Mary's role in your own life. If people want to learn more about you, father, how can they do so? Sure. Well, the book's available, uh, in audio, in print, uh, and as an ebook, uh, I have a, also, I have a Facebook page, father James Martin SJ. I'm on Twitter and Instagram under James Martin SJ and, yeah. And I just would ask, I'm, I'm very grateful to be on your podcast. It's really wonderful to talk about Mary. And I would just ask your listeners to keep me in their prayers. And maybe the next time they're praying to Mary, just ask her for a little help from me if you get a chance. And I definitely will do that later today as I pray the rosary, remembering you and your intention. So thanks so much for joining me today, Father James Martin. My pleasure. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. If you don't mind, please leave a review of How They Love Mary on Apple Podcasts. Share the podcast with your family or your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or wherever people find their podcasts. And if you don't mind, please give me a follow on social media at the handle at FR Edward Looney. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.